This is Statsman and Mad Fan. Powered by 88.1 The Berg. Welcome back to the show, folks. I can't wait to have you here. I'm, of course, Mad Fan, getting ready to unleash my outlandish statement for the show. And I'm going to go wild card. I'm going with something you folks won't even think I'd say. That's right. Guess who's going to win the NBA Finals? The Eastern Conference winner. That's right. I'm going against the grain. I'm going against what the experts say. I'm going to break the mold. I think the Eastern Conference can do it. Because when you look at each team in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics or the Cleveland Cavaliers, they both have two great things that the teams in the West do not have. When we are looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, they have the GOAT, the greatest of all time, LeBron James. You cannot defeat this man. If he makes it through in these last couple games against the Celtics, he proves once and for all that he is the best player of all time, which I think he can, and he definitely is in my book. Now he's going to go up against the Golden State Warriors, and they just don't have it. They're not going to beat them, and neither is Houston. If somehow the Boston Celtics take over and they finish out this series, they win the last game that they need to win, my money is completely on them. They have the greatest coach to ever set foot on the hardwood. That's right, folks. I'm talking about our Lord and Savior, Brad Stevens. He's going to find a way to make a team with no NBA All-Pro players. That's right, not one on the first team, not one on the second team, and not one on the third team. They're going to go out and win this game. They're going to win the series. They're going to win game one. They're going to win game two. They're going to win game three. They're going to win game four. That's right, I'm calling for a sweep. That's how much confidence I have in these Eastern Conference teams. The Western Conference has great players and great teams, but they don't compare to the greatest player of all time and the greatest coach of all time. That's right, folks. Thank you for sitting in for my outlandish statement. Now I'm going to toss it over to Austin Lane, the stats man for Mathematically Speaking. I'm about to go through the starting five, the sixth man, and even the head coach of the Boston Celtics and tell you how many NBA Finals they have been to. Al Horford, zero. Terry Rozier, zero. Jason Tatum, he's a rookie, zero. Jalen Brown, he's in his second year, zero. Marcus Morris, zero. Marcus Smart, zero. And even Brad Stevens hasn't been to the NBA Finals. But today I'm here to talk about what they have done. So here is Mathematically Speaking. In the Milwaukee series, Boston had to face the Greek freak. He can literally do everything and is excellent on both ends of the court. Apart from Giannis and Middleton, no one really made an impact consistently on offense, given the fact Giannis creates most of their offense. That really left others with not much scope for creating the impact for the Milwaukee Bucks that they so desperately needed to win that series. And in Philly, they were facing the process, led by Ben Simmons, who is going to be probably the rookie of the year, and who is pretty much the poor man's LeBron James. The Boston defense sagged off and blocked the paint for them to stop just Simmons' plays. Adding to that, much of the offense is structured around Ben Simmons to run the point, and when he went cold, the whole 76ers team sneezed. And if they win this series against the Cleveland Cavaliers, they will have shut down the best player in NBA history. No, scratch that. They actually had the same exact game plan, which was let LeBron score and shut the rest of the team down. That's exactly what they did against Milwaukee and Philly. 
To be able to beat the best player in NBA history where he is putting the team on his back was a tough task for Brad Stevens' Stephen Hawking mind to put together a game plan that worked against the best player. Who's to say they won't have a plan against a great team in Golden State or Houston? That is if they beat Cleveland. I know what you're saying. Sure, they played three teams and beat them all, and they all mainly relied on one player on the team, LeBron in Cleveland, Simmons in Philly, and Giannis in Milwaukee. So how are they going to beat the Western Conference winner, either Houston with Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, and Eric Gordon, or Golden State with Curry, Durant, Clay, Draymond, Iguodala, or even Sean Livingston? Well, I'm here to tell you how. Let's look at each loss for the Rockets and Warriors and see how Boston can emulate what happened in those games to win the finals. The Rockets lost one game in the opening round to the Minnesota T-Wolves, even with five players scoring in double digits. They lost the game because Carl Anthony Towns was bullying Houston down low all night, and Jimmy Butler was hitting clutch threes late in the fourth quarter. They also lost one game to the Houston Jazz due to Utah's stellar defense and again clutch shooting from Joe Ingles and Jimmy Butler. The Warriors, on the other hand, also lost one game to San Antonio in their first round and one game to the New Orleans Pelicans in the round after that. They lost the first one to the Spurs due to too many turnovers and points scored off of those turnovers. And then they lost to the Pelicans in that one game because they allowed Anthony Davis to get too many rebounds. He ended the game with 18 total rebounds, which was tied for the most in a single game all season for him at the time. So if Boston wants to beat Houston, they will need to get the ball down low to Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart and let them do their work while also letting guys like Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, and even Jalen Brown take shots late in the quarter, preferably whoever has the hottest hand out of those three. And for Boston to beat Golden State, they will need to out-rebound them with guys like Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris down low, and they'll also need to force turnovers and make sure to score on them on the opposite end of the court. So mathematically speaking, it is possible and more likely than people think that Boston can win the NBA Finals this year as they continue to kickstart what is looking like the next big Boston Dynasty-type team. You want to know what I'm mad about? Do you really want to know what I'm mad about? I'm mad about everything! Did the Mar- course not be in they suck! Look, the stats prove it. Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James. You are living in a fairy tale right now, Austin. You jump down the rabbit hole, you're Alice, and this is Wonderland. Welcome to Mad Fans Grumble. Welcome to Mad Fans Grumble. And right now, I gotta tell you guys, I am... I'm pretty mad, so I'm going to have to kind of contain myself as I go through this. So what happened this week, the NFL came out with a new policy, and I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the National Anthem policy. When I'm looking at this policy, as a citizen of this country, not only as a football player, not only as an NCAA collegiate athlete not only as someone who feels that this kind of protest this kind of action is needed but the nfl and roger goodell and their owners caved to the man in the white house it's it's crazy to me i i just don't get it these are athletes who go out there and lay their bodies on the line every day for our entertainment, for our enjoyment, and we decide that they can't have a voice, it's not fair. It's completely unacceptable. That's right. No more Marshawn Lynch sitting on the bench. No more Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. They can't do that. 
if they wish to do that, if they want to do that, they have to stay inside of the locker room. It's absolutely appalling to me that this would happen. Colin Kaepernick started this movement, started this protest as a way of making the country look at the racial injustice that is happening with African Americans getting shot in the street, like Alton Sterling, like Michael Brown, who get beaten every day like Rodney King did. That happens. Colin Kaepernick went out and did what was right. He brought attention, and he did it in a fair way, and it cost him his job in the NFL. And now we go out, and we have to look these men in the eye and tell them, because you play an entertainment game, you don't get the right to have free speech. The First Amendment in this country. The thing that our founders, when they came out and said, we need to write a Bill of Rights, what is the most important thing that we need to have? The ability to speak our mind freely and express our own opinions. And we're silencing those players' opinions. We are stopping them from being able to shed light on an incident and incidents and a real issue in our country right now. And it's absolutely appalling. We are stopping these people because it makes us uncomfortable. We are stopping these people because we don't like what they're saying and we don't want to believe that what they're saying is true. It's really, really sad. And I stand with or kneel with any player that chooses to do so. Let's not forget, a couple weeks ago in baseball, it was Jackie Robinson Day. And a lot of people like to talk about how great Jackie Robinson was. Everyone loves Jackie's story. He broke the color barrier in baseball. And I have his book. And in his book, I Never Had It Made, he talks about how he decided that he, Jackie Robinson, was going to stop standing and singing for the national anthem because he felt in this country we overlook the struggle that African Americans go through every day and other minorities. And I'm with Jackie Robinson, and I'm with Colin Kaepernick. That is a man who went out, and at the beginning he just sat there, and it angered a lot of Navy SEALs off. It angered a lot of service members off. So what did he do? He went out and he talked to them, and they told him it'd be more respectful to kneel. This isn't a protest about the flag. This isn't a protest about our troops. He asks for their opinion. He goes out in the community and he tells people that if that's something they want to do, thank you for your service. If that's something you've done, thank you for your service. But then you go out and you silence his protest into something it's not that's absolutely irrehensible and despicable. Usually I'd get up here and yell and scream, but I feel that this is a much more serious matter. That we're better than this. As a Mariners fan, I look around and I always see fans pointing fingers at other players in the AL West that are specifically called by the fans, and I quote, Mariners killers. Now, I know you watch the Mariners games and you always see players that you think are just completely killing the Mariners. Well, I'm here today to go into more depth about these players and prove statistically why they actually are Mariners killers. So today I'm going to be talking about that. This is Stats Man's Drumble. 
Mm, smells like stats. You want to know what my favorite number is? It starts with a six and ends with an eight. All right, so I have one player from each team in the AL West that I want to talk about specifically right now that I consider to be a Mariners killer. And for the Los Angeles Angels, it is Mike Trout. For the Houston Astros, it is Jose Altuve. For the Oakland Athletics, it's Chris Davis. And for the Texas Rangers, here's a big one, Bartolo Colon. Yes, I want to talk about that. This is a super funny one, but we'll get to that at the end. So first, I want to talk about Mike Trout. By the time Mike Trout was just 26 years old, he already had 11 stolen bases, 8 triples, 24 home runs against the Mariners, and he hit 300 against them with a 395 on-base percentage and a 565 slugging percentage. This man is crazy against Seattle. He always comes up, and it's always been him versus Felix Hernandez, and usually, most of the time, Mike Trout gets the advantage there in that matchup. All right, next is Jose Altuve. He has the most RBIs in his career against one team, that is... Take a wild guess. The Seattle Mariners with 48. In 2016, he had an OPS, that's on-base plus slugging, of over 1,000 against the Mariners. Unheard of. He also hit 389 in 72 at-bats against the M's that season. In this season, he is hitting 333 through 18 at-bats. So that's Jose Altuve. Chris Davis is next, the young designated hitter from Oakland. He has hit 17 of his total home runs against the M's, which is second only to the Texas Rangers. And in 2016, eight of his 18 hits against the Mariners were home runs. That's 44% of his hits. Then in 2017, last year, six out of his 10 total hits off of us were home runs. That was 60% of his hits. That is a crazy stat. This man is a Mariners killer. All he does is hit home runs off of us. All right, lastly, Bartolo Colon. Yeah, the 45-year-old pitcher from Texas Rangers. He just got to Texas this year. He actually got cut by Texas and then re-signed. This guy won't go away. And honestly, Bartolo Colon might be around forever, man. This guy is 45 years old, and he's still kicking and He's still pitching good, specifically at Safeco Field. He has a 14-1 career record with a 1.98 ERA. His highest career win percentage at any field in his career that he has started at least three games in is Safeco Field. And even earlier this month, he threw seven and two-thirds innings against the Mariners, giving up four hits, no walks, and no runs. So those are my Mariners killers. Everyone always wants to talk about who's the best player against the Mariners, and those guys are definitely it. That's one from each team, and that will do it this week for Stats Man's Jumble. I'm Statsman. And I'm Mad Fan. Follow us on Twitter at 881theberg. And listen to all the rest of our podcasts on SoundCloud at 881theberg, nerd.